Greetings, seam heads. Love is in the air. It is February 14th. It's Valentine's Day, but we're feeling the love because Rockies pitchers and catchers have their first workout today. This is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14, located at 1920 Blake Street. Tap 14 has 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, amazing American Alpine fare that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally, terrific rooftop views all year round. Follow them on Twitter at TapXIV or online at Tap14. We are so thankful for Tap14 and their partnership sponsoring the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. I am Casey Light, and I am joined by the very lovable Benny Bash, host of Morning Mayhem on Mile High Sports, AM 1340, FM 104.7, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Benny, welcome to the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. It's funny that this is Valentine's Day because the first thing I fell in love with was baseball. Right. I mean, were you, were you the same kid like I was where dad was bouncing the ball off of your head to develop hand-eye coordination at the age of six months? I could catch before I could walk. All right. So, right. so we're in the same boat here. And sure. You talk about catching... Uh, I brought you in because pitchers and catchers report. You were a catcher. I was a pitcher. This is part two of our three-part series we're doing uh, as to commemorate the Rockies pitchers and catchers reporting for the 2018 season. Yesterday, Sean Drotar joined me. We broke down the backstops. We talked about the catchers. Uh, but I brought you in as a catcher to give us some perspective on the pitchers. Specifically today, we are going to be talking about the starting rotation because in my mind, in the 2018 Colorado Rockies season, a season that is built with a lot of high expectations, the real key to this season is the starting pitching. Uh, the Rockies... Got really lucky, in my opinion, last year. More than 50% of their games were started by rookies, and yet they managed to run out to 87 wins. They're going to rely heavily on that same group of guys, uh, but there's some other individuals in that mix. To me, we've got a great lineup here at Coors Field. We've got a strong bullpen that Jeff Breidich has done a tremendous job rebuilding uh, and bolstering. We'll talk about that in the third installment uh, of this three-part series about pitchers and catchers. Uh, but to me, the success of this season really hinges on the starting pitching. Benny, there are seven potential starters coming off of last season. Uh, we've got Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland, who as rookies led the Rockies in victories last year. We've got Antonio Senzatella, who came out of nowhere Right, won uh, rookie of the uh, won several rookie of the month awards. Uh, Ten wins, pitchers. five yeah. losses. Yeah, yeah, just a huge, huge year from Antonio sure. Sensatella. He faded a little bit down the stretch. John Gray, obviously the horse of the staff, the guy that they're leaning on. He got that wild card start. We've got Jeff Hoffman, who was the cornerstone to the uh, Troy Tulowitzki trade, a sure. guy that they have very, very high expectations for. And then we've got two other Rockies who uh, are a little bit older. We've got Tyler Anderson, who is coming off of an injury-plagued year. And then we've got Chad Bettis, who obviously we know what he went through last year uh, with the cancer treatment and his bounce back from that. Um, so a lot of huge storylines to follow in this. But we've got seven guys competing for five roster spots or five starting rotation spots. Sure. We know the first one is going to be John Gray. There's no doubt about that. Barring some injury like he suffered last year um, early on in the season. We know that John Gray is the number one this year. Tell me your take on John Gray and what you expect from him in 2018. Well, you're hoping for one that he's healthy throughout the whole season. Um, when you have a lower body injury like that, all of a sudden things start happening with the mechanics. So you're, you're hoping that that is all cleared up 
so that way he can get to be the John Gray that we all know and love. For John Gray, it's all about the third pitch. Everything hinges on whether or not he can control that in fastball counts. Uh, you know, that that's kind of what separates Major League pitching from AAA pitching is can the guys control their curveball? Can they control their slider? Can they control their change? Whatever the off-speed pitch is that they have, can they control that in a 2-2 count? Can they control that in a 3-1 count? Um, you know, can you get out of trouble and and not put guys on base? So for John Gray, that's a big thing this year. That's probably the difference between being a 19-win guy, an 18-win guy, and being uh, you know a 15-win a, a guy. And you need John Gray to be kind of the horse that gets you to 20. We didn't, you know, you look at all these young pitchers, and you didn't really have anybody that had anything more than you know, 10 or 11 wins. Everybody yeah. was at a 10 or 11 yeah. win. John guy. Gray included in that uh, 10 and four last season, over 20 starts. The promising right. thing, he matched a career high with 10 wins, uh, which he put together in 2016 as well, but he did that in nine fewer starts. <laughs> right. So 10 and four, That's that to me is the most promising thing that we saw from John Gray. Uh, I wrote a piece last year and encourage folks to go to milehighsports.com and check this out. Uh, John Gray, through his first 50 starts, put up some very similar numbers to a very impressive pitcher, a guy you might have heard of by the name of Max Scherzer. You talk about those three pitches, and the curveball really is is the pitch that John Gray has been trying to develop over the last couple of years. Uh, I think we saw this with the moves that the Rockies made in their bullpen especially, is uh, historically speaking, the Rockies leaned on guys who were hard fastball, cutter, down you know down in the zone type of guys. You think of an Aaron, Aaron Cook type, right? Uh, but they also relied on guys who threw a lot of sliders, a lot of sweeping breaking balls. We think of Adam Adovino, right? Low and away from the hitter, right, yeah. make sure he doesn't get a, a fat part of the bat. But as we saw sure. with a guy by the name of Greg Holland last year, guys who depend too heavily on that slider can tend to have difficulties late in the season when they start to feel that fatigue. That 12-6 curveball, that over-the-top curveball, is a lot more effective for Rockies pitchers. And I think the Rockies have, have started to catch on to that. They've seen that with John Gray. You're right. Whether he can take that curveball, that secondary pitch, because his slider is solid, but it can't be the only off-speed pitch sure. it can't especially you you need that big break in speed you need that 10 to 15 mile an hour difference sometimes not just a six or seven or eight mile an hour difference between the fastball and the slider that to me whether whether john gray fully takes command of that hard heavy curveball is that difference I, I think if he stays healthy a 15 win season is well within reach for john gray can he push that up to 18 or 19 like you said is really going to depend on that curveball let's move on to the number two spot in the rotation because sadly with even though they have seven guys that they're choosing from or really six after John Gray for the remaining four slots there's no clearly defined number two at this point now, I, I think they would really love to see over time a kid like Kyle Freeland who's on the cover of Mile High Sports magazine sporting his Thomas Jefferson High School jersey that this looks year. sharp by the way please get to milehighsports.com yeah. and check it out if you haven't already awesome stuff um he was on with uh Eric and Les yesterday on Afternoon Drive on Mile High Sports talking about how he's changed up his uh, workout regimen this offseason to be a lot more flexible, build up stamina. I think the Rockies would love to see a Gray Freeland 1-2 punch, but is Kyle Freeland ready to step into that number two role in just his second season in the major leagues? Well, part of it is all of, we talked about how young these guys are. I, yes, they're young, but at the same time, they don't pitch young. So a lot of this is how does a guy deal with a one loss or a two loss in a row? Um, and, and you saw this with the Colorado Rockies. You saw this with the pitching staff. Yeah, they're young in age, but they're old in mind. 
And it's kind of that number two guy oftentimes is kind of the guy who is is stable. He knows how to pitch nine innings. He knows how to manage a whole game. That's where you have to get Kyle Freeland, too, because he's a great talent. Well, and you need, especially in the National League and in, a, yes. in the National League West, if you're going to compete in the playoffs, you need a guy who is not afraid to stare down a legitimate number two who is just as good as a number one, because that is what you have in the National League and specifically in the National League West. Right. Uh, if you look at the teams that they're going to have to face come playoff time in these longer series with the Dodgers, with the Diamondbacks, you need a guy who's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with a Robbie Ray or a Rich Hill. And you have that in Kyle Freeland. He has pitched in some huge, huge games. I mean, he was the Rockies' home opening starter last year and went out and beat the Dodgers, who were a 100-win team. Well, not only that, so you talked about it. So a lot of the number twos are basically aces on other staffs. You're going to have some rough, rough stretches. Absolutely. And so it's all about that, that that mental aspect of just give me this pill. I'm going to make sure that we're in a position to win. And it's about managing a game rather than than going out there and just and you know throwing your throwing your best stuff. Sometimes you're not going to have your best stuff, and the number two guy's not going to have his best stuff. But guess why he's better than you? <laughs> like that. That's just the reality yep. of it. So well, yeah. I- I like the left-right combo that they can go, or the right-left combo, if you will, if you start with Gray as your one and Freeland as your two. But realistically, if, if, if we're being true to, true to ourselves, Chad Bettis is probably your number two, at least out of the gate, right? He's the veteran. He's, he's the guy who's got the major league innings under his belt. Uh, he, I mean, you're looking at a guy who's going to be 29 this season. Uh, obviously, we know last year was a truncated season with that cancer uh, fight that he had. We're so proud of Chad for battling through that, came back, and, and really finished the year. A little up and down. Um, he was two and four. Obviously, not a great uh, result in terms of win loss. Uh, but he, you know, he did have a five oh five ERA. But he put together some some really solid performances, including that first game back against the Braves, where you said to yourself, "Okay, that's the that's the Chad Bettis that went out and won fourteen games in twenty sixteen. That's the guy who we wouldn't be scared putting him up against a solid number two somewhere else. He may not have the the high upside that a Freeland has, but he's certainly reliable. Well, and and that's the thing. His 505 ERA, you talked about that. That was a result of two blow-up games there that, that happened. Boom, boom, boom. And you said, oh, poor chat. You know, that that he is normally solid guy. Uh, he's a guy that can <laughs> – it's funny. You're So we're looking for maturity on this roster. It might be in Chad Bettis. Oh, without a doubt. Right. I, I think everything <laughs> that he's gone through, certainly. Right. Uh, you know, it, it not only did it bring maturity for, for Bettis, and, and Bettis was always a mature guy to begin with, very serious, t- took his craft very seriously. Um, you know, 2016, I, he I led, called him the DJ LeMayhew of the pitching staff. I, I, that's a very, I mean, very quiet, very understated, very serious about his craft. Uh, he was the starts leader and the innings leader for the Rockies in 2016. So I, I think we can expect solid performances from him. I, I liken him, if, if you like to think back to the to the most successful Rockies team, just in terms of where they finished the year at the end, was that 2007 club that won the NL pennant. Uh, to me, there is a lot of Josh Fogg in him. He's the guy that, that you know, he's, he, does he have the best stuff? No. Does, is, is he a dominating pitcher who's just going to go out and mow you down? No. But he is not afraid to go toe-to-toe with guys who are arguably better than him, uh, you know, in, in terms of just raw talent and ability uh, because he's just such a tough-minded, mature guy. So I really think that Chad Bettis, at least initially, is going to be your number two. But boy, if Freeland can develop into that number two that they would like him to, I can really see Chad Bettis being a huge, huge plus at a number three spot. Uh, I think you can book those three guys in pretty solid 
solidly uh, as long health wise everything is, is looking good now is where things start to really get a little bit murky is in the four or five slot now we're talking about a guy like Herman Marquez Antonio Sensatella Jeff Hoffman and Tyler Anderson those are our four guys that are going to be competing for those final two spots the first one that jumps out, obviously, is last year's co-wins leader alongside Freeland, and that's Herman Marquez. Boy, was he electric for the final two months of the season. Yeah, I mean, he was he was like the pleasant surprise of the whole team where you said, who is this guy? And then, all you know, he's not a huge prospect, all these different things, yeah. and he just goes out there and he balls. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with 11 wins last season. Um and his ERA looked pretty good too over yeah. time. Yep. I, you know, he he had a four ERA, but at the same time, yeah, similar to Bettis, where you have those blow up games and it kind of screws everything up stats wise. But yeah, he was he was absolutely solid. You know what's funny is a lot of people are penciling him in as your number four behind Bettis, and then Tyler Anderson is kind of bouncing back and forth. Yeah, and and Anderson is a very intriguing prospect. I'll, I'll touch one more thing on on Marquez that that obviously. The velocity is the the most intriguing thing about Marquez because he can hit those triple digits. He can buzz you up there 97, 98 consistently, even hit 100 miles an hour. So there's that temptation to say, boy, is there a spot for him in, in the bullpen potentially because he just can come in and shut you down, saw you off, and... and and really neuter you as a, as a hitter for short periods of time. Uh, but he's also proven that he can go long. And so th there's, you know, there really is that interest in having him there in, in the rotation. Obviously, of, of the rookies, he had the longest, in my opinion, the longest stretch of success consistently. Um, he really didn't come on until late in the year. We saw early on Antonio Sensatella was very strong. Uh, obviously, Kyle Freeland had a couple of stretches where he was really strong. Uh, but... Marquez is, is such an interesting character. He will be on this roster. Make no mistake. It's a matter of where he will be on this roster. When you talk about a guy like Tyler Anderson, though, obviously we saw great, great things from Tyler Anderson uh, in the second half, especially of 2016. Um, you know, he was 5-6 and six that season, but a 3.54 ERA. Yes, a Rocky starter who made 19 starts had a sub-4 ERA, almost a 3-5 ERA. But boy, did he take a step backwards in 2017 fighting those injuries. Well, and part of that was he his strikeout ratio. I mean, it, compared to Marquez, for example, who comes in at 145 strikeouts last year, then Tyler Anderson, which, which you know, 81 strikeouts is not something to, you know, th that's a good number. Yeah, over 86 innings pitched, that's a, that's a very good number. That's an absolutely fantastic number. But that was kind of the difference was uh, from from year to year was you you saw him maybe trying to become a pitcher where he was trying to manage the situation a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure. I can't jump into his head a little bit. He's the guy that can benefit the most, and this is for coming from a catcher, he's the guy that I think can benefit the most from a good catcher working with him and knowing his own stuff. Yeah, and we don't know how much the injuries were really affecting okay, that's Tyler true. Anderson last yeah. year because, I mean, we, we saw, obviously, you know, he had the arthroscopic surgery on the knee, and, and we're hoping that that's going to help him to bounce back. Uh, the, to me, it's funny, when you, when you compare his numbers side by side throw the wins and losses out um the era though is 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 a huge difference up a full 
point plus. Uh, he was 3.54 in 19 starts in 2016, 4.81 in 17 starts. Uh, or, I'm sorry, in 15 starts, 17 total appearances. Uh, the, the one that really jumps out at me, though, from 2016 to 2017 is the home runs per nine. He was averaging less than one home run per nine in 2016. That was up to 1.7. Right. So he's giving up the long ball. He's giving up the big hits. Is that uh, legs? And and I think some of that is has to do with, you know, is he overthrowing? Is is he leaning too much on that left arm as opposed to the rest of his body? Because Tyler Anderson is a big guy. I mean, let's let's be realistic. He's six foot four, 210. I mean, he's a horse out there. Sure. Uh, but that also means a lot of wear and tear on that body. So to me, he's the number one guy that I'm going to be keeping an eye on in spring training because I was a huge advocate for Tyler Anderson coming out of that 2016 season. I really felt like he could be a number two or a number three uh, type of a starter for the Rockies in 2017. And those injuries just kind of caused him to fall apart. So he's a guy that for me, I, I don't see him coming out of the bullpen. I think he's just one of those types. Um, I was kind of the same way as a pitcher. I came out of the bullpen in college, but I was starting to loosen up in the second inning, right? I was a starter uh, through most of my, my younger days. I was a starter when I played in summer leagues and it was for me, I needed to get warmed up. I needed, you know, I you needed, needed a sweat. Yeah. I needed to get, you know, I yeah. needed to build up that lather, so to speak. And I think Tyler Anderson's a little bit of that same type of guy. It's why he got into that little spat with Clayton Kershaw in, sure, in Los sure, Angeles. Sure. If you remember that, yep. uh, took his, he took his uh, warm up a little bit too long and was a little too nonchalant about getting back to the dugout. Clayton Kershaw did not take too kindly to that. Uh, but you know, Tyler Anderson, to me, they put him in the bullpen, but I don't see a long-term future for him. So really, health is going to be very, very important for him. Um, to me, it's it's Anderson and Marquez are are, are the leaders in that in that um, in that race for the next spot. Um, because obviously Anderson, we saw some great things out of him, but we did see some great things out of Antonio Sensatella last year, did we not? Well, yeah, Sensatella. I mean, 102 strikeouts, only 47 walks, uh, <laughs> in 134 innings. Well, and, and here's the thing that, that I think a lot of folks don't understand about Sensatella, or maybe this storyline got buried a little bit. He pitched just 35 innings in the minor leagues at the double-A level. He skipped triple-A and pitched just 35 innings at the double-A level in 2016, was shut down because of injury, and that's really why the Rockies had to back off him so much in the second half of last season, uh, relegate him to the bullpen just to save that arm, because you can't go from throwing 135 innings to throwing or from throwing 35 innings to throwing 135 innings uh, and expect to to see your arm withstand that over the next several years, which they need him to be strong over the next several years, which you guys are going to touch on Wade Davis tomorrow. OK, but take Wade Davis's career, for example. So Wade Davis starts out with single A with the Devil Rays, jumps up to, to double A, jumps, jumps up to triple A. And and that's how it goes. Wade Davis has actually been pitching since 2006. People don't yep. realize that. Um, you know, they always think of him as starting basically with the Royals uh, in 2013. This guy's been pitching for a long time. Sensatella says, "Nah, I don't need all that. <laughs> I'm just gonna jump up. We're we're gonna make a move here, and his arm is is ready to go." That is a huge leap. Here's what I'm I'm concerned with, and I don't want I don't want to throw a negative out there, kind of knock on wood. I'm concerned with a wall this season, and I think that's I think that's very fair. I mean, if you look back at last year, and that's I think that's what the Rockies were concerned with as well. June 16th, Antonio Sensatella had nine wins. June 16th, we're talking two and a half months 
into the season, he was up there with the likes of Clayton Kershaw and, and Max Scherzer, right? Those names we've talked about as, as, you know, they are the cream of the crop without a doubt. He was competing with those guys, but the Rockies went, oh my gosh, you know, realistically, we can't keep this up. We can't keep pushing him out there at this level. And so that's when they really started to dial things back. Um, he obviously then went on to win, you know, just one more just one game, more game right. after that. Um, and, and some of that had to do with the fatigue that he faced. Some of that had to do with his changing role. Uh, but I, I think, you know, Senzatella, again, you know, we talk about guys who are horses. Um, Senzatella, not quite the same height. He's he's six foot one. He's listed at 180, but I'm pretty confident that <laughs> 170 of that is located in his uh, in midsection. His, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, from the, it's from the armpits down, yeah, as they say. Yeah, yeah I would, uh, I mean, Senzatella, he is just, He's a beast. Uh, what I love about him, he's got a similar makeup to to a Chad Bettis, that bulldog mentality. No one scares Antonio yeah, Sensatella. Um, you know he. You know he's a product of Venezuela, so he's got some guys in the locker room. Uh, obviously, he had Carlos Gonzalez last year. We'll see whether he has Carlos Gonzalez again this year. It's looking less likely that that's the case. But Gerardo Parra, so he's got some familiar uh, some familiar figures in you know in the locker room. Marquez is also Venezuelan, so it helps. The language barrier is a little tricky um, in getting a, a full read on Sensatella, um, but you can tell that he's a guy who's very very. Uh, Dedicated to his craft, uh, there's not a lot of, of freelancing going on with Antonio Senzatella. He is out there to be a darn good baseball pitcher, and I think he has the potential to be that. Like you said, I think we have to worry about him hitting that wall. What I love about Senzatella's role with this with this club is you can move him into the bullpen if necessary. Um, he didn't really seem to bat an eye last year when he, when he was put in that bullpen role. Um, and he's a guy that you can bring in for spot starts so that you can save Chris Russin, so that you can save some of these other guys in the bullpen and not have to tax them in those because all of a sudden now you have that depth. And let's be realistic. For the second go around, somebody's going to hit a sophomore slump, right? Somebody's going to have sure. some injury problems. And so having these two extra starters available is really going to benefit Bud Black in the long run over the course of this season because it's just like he did last year. He rode the Sensatella wagon until he started to see the wheels falling off. Then he moved on and said, okay, let's put things in the hands of Jeff Hoffman. And Jeff Hoffman was solid for a little stretch. Jeff Hoffman started to fade a little bit. Okay, let's lean more heavily on Kyle Freeland. Okay, Freeland's starting to hit a wall. Let's jump on Marquez for a while. The same thing is going to happen, whether it be a stamina issue or just there being more tape and more book on these guys. These guys are going to have some sophomore struggles. So being able to rotate them in, move them into different roles, I think is of huge value for Bud Black. Last guy on our list, because we need to move on, because you've got a radio show to get to. Uh, we'll let you plug that in just one quick second. But Jeff Hoffman is the last guy uh, on our list of potential uh, starters in that rotation. He was the centerpiece of the Troy Tulowitzki trade. He was the first one among those four rookies to come up. Uh, he saw four starts in 2016. Went 0-4, but had a 488 ERA. Showed some flashes. Um, was hit or miss last year. Finished the year 6-5 and uh, with a 589 ERA. To me, he was the weakest of the four rookie starters, but he was also the one that came in with the most promise at the start of the he year. Has the, he has the best stuff as far as that goes. He's got to learn how to pitch. And and so when they brought in Jonathan Lucroy, I said, okay, here here you go. Here's your veteran catcher. Bring along you know some of these guys, including Hoffman. I think <laughs> this is what you do. You say, all right, Ionetic, guess what your job is for the next four days? 
you're going to go take Hoffman, you're going to go with the pitching coach, and you guys are going to go work out together, and you're going to go into a barn, and nobody's going <laughs> to bother you. You're going to figure some stuff out because Hoffman has all the talent in the world. The, the kid is an absolute nightmare. He's the guy that that goes and takes the bump, and you say, oh, my goodness, you know, when he's warming up. And then all of a sudden you start to rake off of him. And so I don't – I he might be the youngest in mind. I'm not sure what's going on up there. Like I said, I can't jump into his head. Yeah. I don't want to speculate on that stuff. He's got good stuff, though. And so you hope that this is what – this year is going to be the year that um, – you know that something clicks with him, and 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 that that scenario. What's funny is we're talking about these top five. You know, all seven are going to start. Oh yeah, without right. a doubt. We're, we're, <laughs> right. we're, we're right. talking. We're really trying to map out who are going to be the five that are the most reliable, the most consistent. Who are the guys that we're going to see on the opening day uh, roster? But yes, all seven of these guys are going to see significant time. Um, Jeff Hoffman. The to Rockies me, have pitching depth. Can we say yeah, that? They, that's they crazy. Do, Isn't that crazy? But they are young, and that's yeah. my fear. And it is I mean, really, sure. of those seven, we. We have one postseason start. That was John Gray's wild card start last year. We all know how that went. Was not great. Uh, that to me is the, the the crux of the season. They have tremendous talent. I just hope that these guys can build off of last year as opposed to last year being sort of that we don't know any better. Right. That's the fear. I think is sure. that with these, especially these four young rookies, ignorance is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Sometimes. You know, Jeff Hoffman. You, you talk about all the, the the plus, the upside that Hoffman has. Jeff Hoffman to me is John Gray in glasses. They are the exact same guy. There are so many similarities between those two pitchers. And we saw John Gray took huge, huge strides in his second year. The third year, kind of, when, and I say second year, but really it was his first full season in the majors in, in 2016. You know, in, in 2017, he struggled a little bit because of the injury stuff, but he took a big, big leap forward. I think Hoffman's still a little ways out. Uh, will they use him? I, to me, I think the best route for Hoffman is to get him more reps in AAA, get him starters innings, and make sure that you've got a good, solid, catcher down there that is teaching him how to pitch at a you know at a high high level whether it be triple a or the major leagues uh benny i know you have to get to a radio show uh so i'm going to let you go and do that but before we do i do want to say thank you very much to our sponsor tap 14 at 1920 blake street 70 colorado beers on tap 100 colorado distilled spirits American Alpine Fair that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally. They've got terrific rooftop views all year round. We will be there on opening day. It is going to be a fantastic, awesome time there. Uh, we're going to be podcasting from there at least once a week throughout the course of the Rockies regular season. So please make sure that you get down to Tap 14. Follow them on Twitter at Tap XIV. That's Tap XIV on Twitter or Tap 14 spelled out. We're going to test your spelling skills and make you spell out Tap 14 to find them on the web. But thanks so much to Tap 14 for sponsoring the Blake Street Array podcast benny please wish your special lady a very happy valentine's yeah, day right happy happy valentine's day i uh thank you very much uh i i'm a lucky man to not only be with her but also here at mile high sports well thank you benny we appreciate it yes a happy valentine's day to my lovely wife michelle it is the blake street irregulars podcast this is part number two of our three-part series covering pitchers and catchers we will be back tomorrow to talk about that revamped bullpen that Jeff Breidish has done a fantastic job on this offseason. Thank you so much for listening. This is Mile High Sports.